Good morning and welcome to this next installment of The Deception of More. We're going to officially call this one Part 1. Uh, this is Christianity Proper, Proper Doctrine, Proper Life. Uh, our first installment in the series uh, we just called the Preamble Ramble because it is just kind of an introduction, duction, uh, dipping our toes in the proverbial waters of this topic. Now, this first official Part one installment is going to be very scripture heavy. So uh, if you're listening along, hope you have your Bible nearby. I would encourage you to look, um, set your eyes upon all of these passages of scripture that we're going to reference. We're going to read many of them on this installment. Uh, but those that we just referenced, I would encourage you, set your eyes upon all of these verses. Study the word uh, to show yourself approved so that we may all grow in the faith. Now, this part one is going to be called More of Christ. So we're talking about the deception of more, but there is something, biblically speaking, that we are encouraged to have more of and to seek more of. And that's really the heart and the drive behind this whole uh, series that we're doing is the deception of more is that which leads us to pursue more experiences or more uh, emotion, emotionally driven moments in life, uh, namely those experiences that we may have. But biblically speaking, there is more that we're called to, uh, to pursue, to seek, uh, to search out, and that is the knowledge and the wisdom of Christ and the knowledge and the wisdom of the Word. And so we're not against all things more. We're just against more that leads away from Scripture, away from Christ, and into uh, worldliness, uh, into false religion, into idolatry. We are definitely against those things. And so this is going to be called more of Christ. Um, we were aimed and set up to do this last night. Uh, but raising children, uh, sometimes, you know, things just simply don't go according to plan. And one child who was in bed by like 7 or 7.30, which was early, uh, they decided to pop back up and stayed awake until a little after 11. And by that point, I said, you know what? I'm just going to have to wait until tomorrow uh, to do this. So thank you guys for being patient. Those of you who have been following along, all five of our listeners. But hey, you're there. So thank you guys for your patience. Uh, really looking forward uh, to diving into this one. And um, I'll say one last disclaimer or um, just piece of information, because I know that as I go through this, uh, I've already heard things in the past like, oh, well, you're just a Baptist and this is why you think that way. Or you were raised in a particular tradition. I was raised in a different tradition. And so we see it this way. You see it that way. So, you know, it, it, it really just comes down to interpretation of Scripture or how we were raised and and even that is is still you're trying to get around it by saying well you're just a baptist or you're a methodist or you're you were raised in this denomination and so that's why you think the way that you think now two things number one if that's true if you and i only think the way that we think because we were raised in a particular denomination that is a problem and that needs to be addressed secondly with this series and 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 my ministry proper ministries, this podcast, when I preach, um, yes, I, I pastor a Baptist church. But if when you come to me and when I come to you 
as brothers and sisters in Christ, if we ask one another, why do you believe what you believe? The answer cannot be, well, I'm a Baptist, so I think this way, or I'm a Pentecostal, so I think this way. The answer must be, it must always be, scripture instructs us, therefore, that's why I believe what I believe, because of scripture, because God's word has said, uh, and God has spoken. Now, that does lead to the whole interpretation thing. You say, oh, well, when we see this set of verses, we think it means this, and when when you see that set of verses, you think it means that. And I would just like to humbly submit that there's a solution when we find ourselves in those scenarios. And the solution is not to say, well, you're a Baptist and I'm charismatic, so we just have to agree to disagree on those things. Nope, it needs to go deeper than that. We need to say, okay, it doesn't matter my denomination. It doesn't matter what your denomination is. Uh, we need to actually search the scriptures to see, is God clear on these things? Does God have any more information on these topics we may disagree on? So all of that to say, this podcast, this ministry is built upon the foundation of scripture alone, the whole of the scripture to the whole of the people through the whole of life. This is not a Baptist podcast. This is not, I don't have a Baptist ministry. Uh, we, we seek to have a Christian ministry, a Bible-based ministry. Um, and, and all of our beliefs, all of our doctrines, all of our understanding, our worldview, our entire existence has to be shaped by the fact that God is God and God has spoken. And if God has spoken, then our reasonable response is submission and to live our lives as living sacrifices for his glory. So with all of that being said, let's dive in to this uh, installment. More of Christ. Uh, one thing in particular that I've heard, especially again over the past two, three weeks, I've, I've heard different people, and yes, they are, uh, they are of a more charismatic bend, but even some Baptists use this language. Um, we want to know the heart of God. We want to know God more intimately. Um, and when you connect that with this deception of more, it sometimes becomes, well, there's more that God has for you. God wants you to know him more intimately. God wants you to know his heart. Therefore, you need to know this or you need to experience this. Um, and so, yes, there is, there's a big danger there, but that simply leads us to the question, okay, well, how do we, how does anybody know God? How has God made himself known? Do people chiefly come to know God through experiences or do people come to know God by other means, namely uh, his eternal attributes, which are declared in nature? The heavens declare the, the glory of God. So there is something to be said about general revelation. That's what we would call that general revelation. When you walk outside, I'm, I'm in my office now, I'm looking outside and you look at the the sky, the trees, the birds, the bees. I did that <laughs> just, just for your rhyming entertainment. But the birds, the bees, the flowers, the plants, everything. We as Christians, we would say, oh, well, that harkens us back to Genesis. But that's as Christians, just in general. You walk outside and all of creation shouts, there is an order to things. And if there is an order to things, then there is someone who set these things in order. And so if there's someone who set these things in order, then he must be the one 
that has the authority over all things. He must be the creator or the intelligent designer as, as some say. So yes, the heavens declare the glory of God. There is, there is a little bit of general revelation that we have pertaining to God and his existence just through nature, just through creation, uh, just through mankind. The fact that mankind is relational, the fact that we can reason, the fact that, uh, the fact that we have emotion, so on and so forth. You could say, well, mankind, that kind of points to a creator. Well, yeah, we would, we would agree with that because man is made in the image of God. Okay, so that's general revelation. What we're talking about more specifically here is how do we know God, like salvifically? How do we come to know that God really is the one true God of all creation? How do we come to know that Christ really is the son of God? How do we come to understand that Christ is Lord and Savior? How do we know God? Well, you could ask a follow-up question. How has God's people, or how, yeah, how has God's people always known him? He does reveal himself to them. But let's go back to the garden. Uh, Adam and Eve were made. We know that in the garden, there was a special type of fellowship that they had with God, like literally with God. But God spoke with them. God gave them a law. God gave them an instruction. You will not eat of this one tree. You can eat of every tree, but this one tree you will not eat of. And so there was a law given, but there was instruction given. God made himself known to Adam and Eve. And then after that, after the fall, um, God speaks to Noah. That's, a, that, that, that's another account where we have where instruction was given to a man that found grace, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But God spoke to Noah and told Noah what he was to do. So God's word went forth. Then let's jump quickly to Abraham, just considering these things. God calls Abraham uh, out of his homeland, away from his kindred, and says, um, follow and, and, and go to a land that I'm going to show you. Uh, and so God didn't even really tell Abram, here's exactly where I'm going to send you or anything like that. He simply said, get up and go, um, go to a land. I'm going to lead you to the land that I've prepared for you. But he spoke to Abraham or Abram, who later became Abraham, but he spoke to him. He revealed himself to Abram through word, through his word. Um, and then that leads over again, you may be hearing this and you may be interjecting and say, see, look right there. God speaks to his people, right? But then we say, okay, God spoke to his people back then in that way. How does God speak to his people now? God still speaks through his word, but is God still adding to his word? No, it is spoken. It is done. The canon is closed. So yes, God still speaks to his people through his word. Then you can jump from Abraham all the way to Jesus. And John 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So Jesus is actually referred to as the word. Um, so that's interesting. That's of note. We know as believers, as Christians, we would say, well, we are followers of Christ. We follow and we are obedient to all things which Christ commanded, which Christ taught. If Christ taught it, we teach it and we submit to it and we teach others that they need to submit to it as well. Um, and so that's important to consider. What else is a Christian? What else do Christians pursue? We pursue Christ, obedience to Christ. Uh, we pursue 
uh, in that obedience, a lot of times what gets lifted way up, and that's fine. It's called the Great Commission for a reason. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them all things that I have commanded you. That's the Great Commission. Teach them, teach people of every tribe, tongue, and nation, teach them what I have commanded you. Teach them. And then we come to the fact that in almost every New Testament book, and that's what we're really going to look at today, and I'm, I'm trying to quickly go through this so we can get to Scripture, because as I mentioned earlier, this is going to be a very Scripture-laden episode, and for good reason. Uh, we, are, we are trying to make a distinction, and we're trying to help others consider and test the spirits and to see there are clear instructions in Scripture and there is a clear dividing line from Scripture as to what Christians are supposed to pursue. There are things that we are to hunger and to thirst for more of, but what are those things? Do we get to decide what those things are? Do we get to define what those things are? Or has God in his infinite wisdom and in his grace and in his mercy told us plainly what we are supposed to seek more of and what we are supposed to pursue more of? And we would say strongly that the answer is yes. And because the answer is yes, we cannot start teaching and, and, and speaking and sharing things that don't line up with what God has clearly spoken. So at the end of the day, all of this and the reason this ministry exists is really uh, based upon the simple fact that God has spoken. And when God has spoken, we can't improve it. We certainly don't need to take away from it. Uh, we don't need to tweak it. We don't need to twist it. Uh, we don't need to give our own interpretation of it. We just need to speak what he has spoken. It really is that simple. And when we find ourselves teaching, preaching, sharing things that go a little bit beyond what he has said, or when we teach, preach, or share things that they really are our own interpretation, then yes, we need to be careful. Um, and I guess one more little disclaimer here. Um, this is not, or I hope, I know what this is. I hope that none of you guys think that, oh, well, this is Caleb just trying to bash people that don't think how he thinks or bash different interpretations of, of, of Christianity or interpretations of scripture. And I can't, I can't keep anybody from thinking that, but, but let me try briefly to explain why this is such a burden to me and why I feel like I must speak out about it. Because first and foremost, scripture is clear that false gospels, if we're talking about a false gospel, false gospels don't save. So ultimately, yes, there are people that are so caught up in deception and have been taken uh, so far away from the truth of scripture that they're actually trusting in a false gospel, which means they're not truly saved. So that's first and foremost. Well, what do we do in those cases? We put the truth forth. We put the true gospel out there. Uh, and God in his grace and in his mercy will use that gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And the preaching and teaching of the gospel will open up uh, those blinded eyes and, and those that are sheep will have ears to hear and they will follow the voice of their shepherd. Um, but for believers, for believers who maybe are just confused um, or maybe they were just raised in a tradition, but that tradition does have some faulty foundation. 
does have some uh, some beliefs and some teachings that are not really grounded in Scripture. The fullness of our joy as believers, the fullness of our joy, uh, our our right understanding of Christ and who He is, can only be full, uh, can only be strong, can only be mature, can only be rooted if it's rooted in sound doctrine. How do we? Uh, how is our joy made full from knowing Christ, from from being drawn closer to Christ, from being uh, nearer to Him, for for through understanding more clearly all that Christ has accomplished for our salvation, the fact that He's now interceding for us, the fact that He is returning, uh, the fact that He satisfied the wrath of God on our account, uh, the fact that he's the only mediator between God and man, like all of these details about Christ and who he is, increases our joy about uh, as Christians as we grow in our knowledge and wisdom about Christ and who he is and what he has done for, for us, just how great of a savior he truly is, just how, um, just how powerful and just how great he is as Lord of all creation. It increases our joy. On the flip side of that, when we pursue things that are not Christ and being satisfied in Christ, even if people are telling us this will increase your joy, this will make you happier, this will help you in your Christian walk, they're not. In fact, they're doing the opposite. It's going to sap your joy. It's going to lead you away from Christ, which is going to drain you, which is going to harm you, which is going to make you spiritually malnourished. And a lot of times what ends up happening is because those experiences and because those things never actually fully satisfy, that actually just triggers something within us that we end up, that's why we need that next experience, that next experience. And typically those experiences have to become stronger or greater in order to satisfy our cravings, which is interesting because at that point, I'll say it's almost, it's almost like we become spiritual junkies. We need that spiritual high. That's the opposite of the Christian faith. The Christian faith leads us to be content, leads us to be steadfast, leads us to be rooted and grounded, leads us to have a sober mind, so if we find ourselves craving these more, 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 I have to, I got to get this. I've, I've got to have this experience. I've got to know this. I've got to learn this. I've, and we're, we're always chasing after more. That's the opposite of what true salvation does. That's the opposite of resting in Christ. We've already been given Christ. That was the preamble. Uh, the, the biggest thing we talked about in the preamble was we've already been given every spiritual blessing in heavenly places through Christ Jesus. And scripture is able to fully equip us for every good work. And every believer has the anointing from the Holy One, from the Holy Spirit. So we don't need a second anointing or a third or a fourth. Like We, talk, we talked about all the, those things in the preamble. So if you missed that, I would encourage you uh, to go back to the preamble and listen to that one as well. So let's dive in. I'm going to quickly run through a lot of these references. And then there's two or three of these references that we will unpack a little bit more. But how do we know God at all? General revelation, creation, heavens declare the glory of God. But that special revelation, coming to know God through his word, 
that number one that happens through the new birth and that is a that is an experience that all believers have in common if you're a believer you have experienced the new birth and so yes there are experiences that we will have as believers that are common to all of us so if you've experienced the new birth that's the only reason that we can look at scripture and rightly understand it right, rightly comprehend it And because God has given us eyes to see and ears to hear, we believers, we're the only people on earth that can truly know God as he has made himself known because he has drawn us to himself. He has caused the new birth within us. The spirit within us cries out, Abba, Father, and we can know him. We can read his word, know it, understand it, comprehend it, and the spirit leads us into all truth. And we rejoice in that. That is the only way to truly know God. Not through more experiences. Like once you've been born again, you don't need more experiences and and, and more uh, emotionally driven uh, processes of life or anything like that. You continue to grow in your knowledge of your Savior. You continue to grow in the knowledge and wisdom of the Lord. And that increases your joy and that strengthens you and that matures you and that settles you in the faith. So instead of me continuing to talk and and, and give you my viewpoints, let's let's start looking through all of these passages of scripture. I wanna start, I'm just gonna mention one. I would highly encourage you, of course, read this on your own time. In Acts 17, Paul is actually speaking to um, Gentiles, Greeks, so to speak, in, uh, in the Areopagus. And he tells them, he says, I can perceive that you're religious people. You even have an altar to the unknown God. And then he says this, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but he says, this unknown God, I'm gonna reveal him to you. I'm gonna tell you how to know this unknown God. Uh, he commands all people everywhere to repent and believe. Okay, so that's right in the face, right? Um, God commands all people everywhere to repent. But then he says, he brings up Christ and then he talks about the fact that Christ was crucified and that Christ is risen. And at that point, there were people there, oh, he's talking about people rising from the dead. This is crazy. This is nonsense. But there were others who wanted to hear more. But regardless, I just wanna, I wanted to start there because it's an interesting thought that even Paul, to the unknown God, there is there is something within all people Um, We're made in the image of God. Romans 1 says that the unrighteous people, the wicked people suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. But there is something within everyone that we pursue something or somebody to worship. And Paul was in a place where they literally had an altar to an unknown God. And Paul was basically saying, you're right, you don't know him. There is one true God and you don't know him. And so you refer to him as the unknown God. Let me tell you, let me explain something to you. The one true God of all creation, he commands all people everywhere to repent and believe. And he has given this testimony. He has testified of himself through Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ who was crucified, buried, and Jesus Christ who is risen. And you say, well, Caleb, why do you want to start there? Why is that important? As believers, whether we're talking to other believers or whether we're talking to non-believers, we use the we, we use the gospel. We share the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, that's a, that's a knowledge. That's an information. We're we're sharing information with people. Uh, we're trying to help them the, to the best of our ability 
to understand, number one, God is real. God has made himself known. God has sent Christ. Christ is the risen savior. And if we want to back any of that up, let's just say that somebody asks us, well, prove it. Or where are you getting that from? Why do you believe that? Where do we go to? Do we say, well, there was this one time that I had an experience and man, it, it was amazing. I was weeping, I was crying, and there was some other stuff that happened. I'll have to tell you all that later. But ever since I had that experience, I know that Christ is real or that God is real. That person might look back at us and say, well, that's cool that you had an experience, but I haven't had that experience. So I need something else. And I'm using that example to point to the fact that I think most of us anyway, regardless of your background, most of us, we would go to the scriptures and we would say, well, look, look what God said. Look at the gospel here. Like, look what God gave us. This is why I believe what I believe. Scripture says this, scripture says this, scripture says this. And we would show them God's word because God's word is able to make us wise unto salvation and God's word is able to fully equip us for every good work. Okay, so I wanted to start there because really that's for this installment, that's really kind of where we're at with all of this is, oh, well, there's more, there's more, there's more. Well, no, there is a more that we're supposed to pursue. But when you hear people typically say there's more, there's more, there's more, there's an experience God wants you to have or God wants you to know his heart or you can know God more intimately. Experiences do not need, do not lead to greater knowledge and wisdom and understanding of Christ and who he is and what he has done for us. Experiences don't lead to that. Now we, again, we may be able to tell people, well, hey, here's how God has worked in my life. That's fine. But that's, it's just an experience. What leads people to greater knowledge, wisdom, and understanding is the word. And even when Paul is giving this testimony uh, and he's, he's preaching to this group of non-believers about their unknown God. He points to facts and truth about God. And he talks about how God uh, God set boundaries around the people that he had created and that God is the creator of all things and that he reigns over all the earth. Like Paul mentions all, well, where is Paul getting any of that? From the Old Testament. He didn't call it the Old Testament. We call it the Old Testament, but that's where he's pulling it from. He's pulling it from the word. So, we go from Acts to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6 says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now in 1 Corinthians, there's a lot. There's a lot about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians. Um, and we're going to get into that in part two and part three and potentially part four. There's going to at least be three parts, but I digress. Um, but what does he say here? At the very beginning of the letter, he says, we rejoice. We give thanks because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. And yes, he does say that you're, you're rich. Uh, you're not lacking in any gift. And later we're gonna we're gonna talk about Corinthians and the stuff that gets said there. But the church, the letter to the church at Corinth was a repro, uh, a reprimanding. Um, I just lost my train of thought there. Uh, a reprimanding. It was a correction. Um, it was it was Paul reaching out saying, "Listen, there's a lot going on here. We've got to set it in order. 
right? But notice what he said, your knowledge, you've been enriched in knowledge. Now, before I go any further, I'll make one more distinction here because I can already hear it. I've heard this before too. Well, knowledge puffs up. If you only have a head knowledge, then you might not really know Christ. And if you only have a head knowledge, it might not be good for anything. And I agree with all of that if it's just a head knowledge. But here's the thing. We're talking about people, believers who have been born again. So it's not just a head knowledge because they have come to know the love of God through Jesus Christ. So please do not fall for the trap that knowledge is bad. Uh, you'll hear people say, oh, well, that guy knows a bunch of scripture. He's just a Pharisee. That's foolishness. Please don't fall for that trap. And please don't, uh, please don't buy into that line of thinking. Now, if people do just know scripture, but they very clearly do not love others and they don't love the Lord, then yes, scripture is plain. They, if they don't walk in the light, if they don't love their brothers, they don't know God. But just because there are true believers out there who know the word, which is what we're commanded to do, does not make them a Pharisee. Please don't be so foolish. That is a, that is a surefire way to be led astray. That is a surefire way to start following false doctrine and false teaching. We are absolutely called beyond a shadow of a doubt to know the word, to study the word. Just go and read Psalm 119 to see how important and how significant the word in the life of a believer in the life of a child of God is. So yes, we're gonna, the word knowledge, the word wisdom is gonna come up a lot. And the rebuttal to that from a lot of people is, well, I don't wanna just be puffed up with knowledge. I don't wanna just have wisdom for wisdom's sake. I want to, I want to love people uh, and love God. Well, where are you pulling that from? You wanna love people and love God. Where are you pulling that from? You're pulling it from scripture. So knowing scripture must be pretty important for you to say that, right? If you just wanna love people and love God. Furthermore, if you really loved God, you would obey his commandment to study the word and know the word. And if you really loved people, you would want to give them the truth. And you can't give them the truth if you don't know the truth, okay? So that's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, chapter 10, verses 23 and 24. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let nobody seek his own good, but seek the good of his neighbor. Now, I am just kind of setting the table with that one. Please keep that one in mind. That one's gonna come up later uh, in, a, in, a, in a later installment. So no, let nobody seek his own good, but seek the good of his neighbor. One of the arguments that gets made is, oh, some of these spiritual gifts is so you can build yourself up so that you can edify yourself. Um, and that's clearly unscriptural. We're not supposed to seek our own good. We're only supposed to pursue that which builds up others as well. Um, so that's 1 Corinthians chapter one and chapter 10. In the book of Galatians, I'm just gonna briefly mention this. In Galatians one, Paul straight up says, if anybody preaches a different gospel to you, let that man be accursed. Even if it's an angel from heaven, let that angel be accursed. Well, that's pretty strong words. And there we are talking about false gospels. Uh, but, but hey, that's how serious it is. If somebody preaches a different gospel than what we have given you or than what we have preached to you, let that person be accursed. Let that person be cast off from God for eternity. Let that person be anathema, right? Galatians chapter five, verses 16 through uh, 25. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now that's important because a lot of this more, more, more stuff 
is attached to the spirit. Oh, the spirit's going to move. Oh, the spirit's going to do something for you. Okay. Walk by the spirit. Well, how do we do that? And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for though, for these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law and law does not mean scripture as a whole. Law means the Old Testament law. There's law and there's grace, right? The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Um, you say, well, Caleb, how is that connected to knowing? How is that connected to growing in the wisdom? You know, well, we are, we do need more of all of these things, right? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. We need more of those things. It's good to have more of those things. Well, how do we grow in the spirit? What does the spirit do for us? Well, in John 16, we're told that the spirit leads us into all truth. In John 17, Jesus prays, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And that's exactly what the spirit leads us to. The spirit leads us to all truth. So as the spirit works within us, one thing that uh, that accompanies that is that we will be in the word. We'll be, we'll be of the word. We'll be studying the word, reading the word, growing in our knowledge and understanding of it. And as we acquaint ourselves with the knowledge and the wisdom of God through his word, the spirit will lead us into a proper understanding. The spirit illuminates the scriptures for us so that we can properly understand them. And as we grow in the spirit and grow in our knowledge and wisdom of, of the Lord, then all of the fruits of the spirit will increase. Love, joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, uh, patience, faithfulness, right? Jump back up real quick to the, the fruits of the flesh or the lust of the flesh, idolatry. I do want to, I do want to make one point here. Uh, and I want to make it pretty strongly. Anything that is Jesus plus some more or Jesus plus an experience or Jesus plus a little bit more knowledge that not everybody knows about. It's kind of a secret knowledge. Not everybody believes this. Anything that's Jesus plus is idolatry. Is idolatry. And uh, to, to make this point a little bit more strongly, um, I mentioned there was there's really three things that led me to finally get to the point where I say, I've got to sit down and study this out and talk about it and do some podcasts and, and stuff about it. One of those things was a sermon that I listened to. And at the end of that sermon, the preacher said, now, if you're saved here, and the whole sermon, the whole sermon was just trying to get people to come forward at the end of the service to get baptized in the spirit or baptized in fire. I can't remember which way he said it. And so at the end of the sermon, he says, now, if you're here today and you believe, you have faith, you're saved, and nobody's gonna make you come down here. And then he says this, but why would you want a car with no battery? 
here's why that is so offensive and here's here's why that's false teaching and here's why no believer ought to tolerate stuff like that. That man just told an entire group of people listening to him. Now he said, if you believe you're saved and that's good, nobody's gonna make you come forward. But then right after that, he said, why would you want a car with no battery? A car with no battery doesn't run, folks. A car with no battery is worthless, folks. So what he's saying is knowing Jesus is not enough for you. Why would you not want more? Knowing Jesus isn't enough. There's something else that you need. There's something else you need to experience other than Christ. And he actually went as far as to say, you got a car with no battery, which means that, hey, if if you're saved, you're good, but your salvation won't work. Your car won't run. Now, maybe it was just a poor use of an analogy, or maybe that's exactly what he was trying to portray. But the bottom line is there should have been people walking out of that service when he said something as foolish as that. It is that serious because he literally taught an entire group of people listening, hey, it If you believe you're saved, but it's like having a car with no battery, you need more. No, you don't. No, you don't. And that is idolatry. He was teaching people, hey, you're saved, but there's something else you really, really need to experience. There's something you really, really need to know. For the true believer, the fact that we have come to know Christ, the fact that we have been transferred from darkness into light, the fact that we were dead and now we are alive, ought to be enough to keep us joyful and content for the rest of our days. No matter what we do or don't experience, we were dead and now we're alive. That car will run. That car does have a battery. And what that that preacher said was directly unbiblical. Again, in Christ Jesus, we've been given every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Christ is the all in all. Christ does not lack anything. If Christ is not lacking anything, then how can knowing Christ be, well, you're good, but there's more? Well, Christ doesn't lack anything. So then if we know Christ, we're not lacking any spiritual blessing. We're not lacking anything because we are in Christ. Okay? So anything along those lines is idolatry and it's wrong and it's unbiblical. So that's Galatians chapter one and chapter five. Um, Then there's, Uh, Ephesians and Colossians. Now, Ephesians and Colossians are like, um, you could almost call them like sister books. They're very, very similar uh, in what Paul wrote. Uh, And Colossians is kind of like, almost like a reiteration of the book of Ephesians. But in Ephesians, starting in verse 14 of chapter three, Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knee. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory. Now, just to be clear, Paul here is literally saying, here's what I pray for you, believers. Here's what I pray for you. That according to his riches and glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the spirit, through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay, so we wanna be filled with the Spirit. We want to be be strengthened with power through His Spirit. And the result of that is that Christ dwells in our hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, now hold that, love, 
We're going we're gonna to make a connection between love and the knowledge of God. But you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I always find this passage interesting because Paul literally says, I want you to know something that surpasses knowledge. And he follows that up with, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. So Paul says, I want you to have this knowledge that are to know things that surpass knowledge. And then he says, to him who is able to do exceedingly above and beyond what we ask, right? Then we go into chapter four. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gifts. And we go to verse 11 of chapter four. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Why did God give prophets in the Old Testament? Why did he give apostles? Why does he give pastors? Why does he give teachers? Why does he give evangelists? It's to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we attain the unity of the faith. Now, the faith is, is speaking of like the instructions of the faith, the teachings of the faith, the doctrines of the faith, till we all attain unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, the knowledge of the Son of God. What leads to the knowledge of the Son of God? The Word, what God has given us through His Word. Jesus is the Word. Christians follow Christ and His teachings, right? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro, back and forth, by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. So we grow up in the fullness of the knowledge of Christ so that we won't be tossed back and forth by false doctrine, by doctrine that is not sound, by winds of doctrine. We don't want to, we don't want to be tossed to and fro, back and forth like waves, right? We want to be able to stand firm. How do we do that? Through the knowledge of Christ, through the wisdom found in the word. And we are to be built up and we are to be strengthened and we are to be edified in the word. The spirit leads us into all truth and God's word is truth. We're to be grounded in love, but that love is connected to the knowledge of Christ. How do we come to know and to understand the love of God? We study how he has revealed it to us. We study his word to see just how miraculous and just how beautiful his display of love in Jesus Christ really was. That's how we come to know the love of God. That's how we come to know the love of Christ. It's through what has been revealed 
in the word. Even when we speak of the love of God to other people, when we're witnessing the most popular verse in all of scripture, for God so loved the world that he, oh, uh, the scripture cuts off there. We don't know what he did. We know exactly what he did. How did God display his love? In the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus came, he died upon the cross, he rose again. All who believe in him will be saved. That's the love of God. How do we know that? If we did not have scripture, how would we know that? Today, in today's world, how do we know that? We wouldn't. We wouldn't have a record of it. If it was not written down and saved and stored and preserved, we wouldn't know it. So then he goes on, verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love, so truth and love, you have to know truth, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the knowledge of Christ through the word, through sound doctrine, the knowledge of Christ is directly connected to proper Christian love. You cannot know love without the word. You cannot know the love of God without the word. You cannot know God intimately without the word. You cannot, and you cannot know God any more intimately than what the word, than what the word has already revealed to us. You can't improve upon that. His word is perfect. His word is able to equip us for every good work, right? So Colossians, again, uh, Ephesians and Colossians are, are, are similar. They're kind of like sister books. So there's a good bit in Colossians that is very similar, but in Colossians 1 verse 3, Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of, your Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So here again, a second time, Paul says, here's what we pray for you. And we pray it all the time that you would be filled with knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance in the saints in light. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding, that you may grow in the knowledge of God, that you may be filled with understanding, filled with the knowledge of Christ, your Lord. Colossians uh, chapter two, therefore, or verse six, therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught just as you were taught. So what you were taught, what you learned, walk in that, be rooted in that, be grounded in that, what you learned, what you heard, what you were taught, okay? 
See to it that nobody takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. You don't need any more. That's why this more is a deception. Oh, there's more that God has for you. There's more that you could have. There's more that you could experience. Nope. Um, God has given us Christ. We've been filled with Christ. We don't need anything more than that. We don't need any other experiences. We don't need any more uh, anything. And we don't need any knowledge or we don't need any wisdom that comes from outside of the scriptures. We don't need to go beyond. Now that, since I said that plainly, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says literally that you may not go beyond what is written. 2 John verses 8 through 11, John plainly says, if anybody goes beyond the teachings of Christ or goes past the teachings of Christ, he does not know God. He does not know God. So again, these are... These are the reasons that drive me to feel compelled. Like I have to speak up. I'm trying to speak up. Um, and it's whatever. People may say that, oh, Caleb's the Pharisee and Caleb's the bad guy and Caleb just wants to bash people or whatever else. Literally whatever. Like that's fine. All I'm asking of you, even if you, even if you can't stand me or can't stand what I'm saying, please, please go study the word. Go to the word to see what God has spoken. Test everything that I'm saying up against the word. I'm not uh, I'm not here to try to get more people to like me or to want to hang out with me. I'm always willing to hang out. And again, I love coffee. Uh, so if you ever want to have coffee or whatever, that's cool. Let's, let's hang out. But the point of these podcasts, the point of this ministry is to cry out to the believers, study the word, know the word, grow in the knowledge and wisdom and understanding of Christ our Lord. To the non-believers, it's repent and be saved. Repent and believe. God commands all people everywhere, repent. Let me share the gospel with you. And where do we find the gospel? Where do we find the knowledge of the good news of Jesus Christ? We find it in scripture, right? So the whole of the people, or the whole of the scriptures to the whole of the people through the whole of life, right? So please understand where I'm coming from with all of this. This is scripture. This is important. We, If you're a believer, we do need to understand God has given us everything in Christ, we are filled with Christ. There's not room for anything else. To know Christ and to know him more, that's what we need to be pursuing, right? So um, in him, the whole fullness of the deity dwells bodily and you have been filled, you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demand. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Um, and then we could continue to go through all that, but let's just jump to verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, 
referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, that's important too because this is not new, this concept of more. Well, hey, you're a Christian, you have faith in Jesus, but there's more that you need to observe. There's more that you need to know. There's more that you need to experience. That's always been around. And stuff like that has an appearance of religiousness uh, in godliness, right? But it's just an appearance. What did Paul just say? It has an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion, self-made religion. So it's idolatry. These things are important for us to consider. Um, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, <clears throat> in starting in verse 12, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. And we don't want to quench the Spirit. Again, for those, oh, Caleb's just a Baptist. They don't even talk about the Spirit. I agree with you. There's a lot of Baptists. It's almost like, what do we say? What do we do? Nobody wants to quench the spirit around here. Do not despise prophecies. Notice what he says though. Don't despise prophecies. Test everything. Test everything. Hold fast to what is good. How do we test everything? We test it up against the scripture. If somebody comes to you claiming to have a word from the Lord or claiming to have a prophecy, test it up against the scripture. And here's the thing. If it agrees with scripture, then their prophecy or what it wasn't, their private revelation wasn't necessary. They could have just shown you in scripture what they were talking about. If their private revelation or their prophecy doesn't agree with scripture, then they're a false prophet and a false teacher and you should never listen to them unless they repent. So that's 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, um, starting in verse 13. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved of the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So Paul is literally saying, here's how you stay focused on the truth. Here's, here's what we want you to really be intent on. Here's what we want you to stand firm in. What you were taught, whether that was, whether that was spoken in person or whether it was a written letter but stand firm in our word. And we know that the words of the apostles, they, um, they didn't write of their own accord. They wrote as they were carried along by the spirit. So the words he's talking about ultimately are the word, the word of God. And he says, stand firm in those things. Uh, and then that goes on, 1 Thessalonians 2.13 through um, uh, 3 verse 5. Uh, but let's go ahead and go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 6. 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 3. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. 
He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. Say, why is that a big deal? We don't need more. Godliness with contentment is great gain. If somebody says, oh, well, there's more that you need to experience. There's more that you need to to know. There's more that you need to submit to. There's more that you need to pursue. No, there's not. Be content in Christ. God has given us all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If there is a craving for more in your life that is not more of Christ, more of the knowledge and wisdom and understanding of Christ, if there is a craving for more that is outside of Christ, you have an unhealthy craving. You have a fleshly, sinful craving that is leading you away from Christ, which is why it ultimately becomes idolatry. We're pursuing things that are not Christ. Godliness with contentment is great gain. And that's the, very, that's the very thing that these people who say there's more, there's more, there's more, that's the very thing they don't have is contentment, which is why they always have to pursue more, more, more. They're not content. They're not content with Christ, which shows that their love is not fully rested upon the person and the finished work of Christ because they think they need more. And that's wrong. And it leads to dangerous, deceptive, destructive teachings and destructive places for the believer. You're harming your faith. If you're a genuine believer, you're harming that that is within you. You are quenching the spirit by pursuing those things that are not Christ. Okay, So that's 1 Timothy 6. And then he goes on. He goes on to say, as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, fight the good fight of faith. So that's how you combat that. Stay grounded, stay rooted in the faith. Second Timothy, we talk about that all the time. Second Timothy chapter three, God's word is able to fully equip us for every good work. It's able to make us wise unto salvation. And Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. He doesn't tell them, he doesn't tell Timothy, Um, lead people to have this experience. Try to convince people that they need to speak in tongues. Try to convince people that they need to be baptized in fire. Try to convince, he says, preach the word. Preach the word. That's it. So there's a few other passages. Hebrews chapter one says that uh, long ago in various and sundry ways, God spoke to our father through the prophets, but now he has spoken through Christ Jesus. Uh, The book of James uh, actually has, has uh, uh, an interesting little uh, verse there about controlling the tongue. And uh, there was a quote by Adrian Rogers that I had uh, that says like, the, the evidence that you are filled with the spirit isn't your ability to speak in an unknown tongue. It's your ability to control the one that you do have. Um, but also in the book of James, it says, let not many of you be teachers because we know that teachers are held to a stricter judgment. And that's another reason why I feel so compelled to speak up on these things. Because I see people that I do still consider them brothers in Christ and they're preaching and teaching things that are wrong. And I know that scripture says like, we're all gonna be held to a stricter judgment. 
And they need to be reminded of that. And I need to be reminded of that. And every Christian needs to be reminded of that. Let not many of you be teachers because teachers are held to a stricter judgment. Why? Because if we tell people that God's word says something or teaches something that it does not say or teach, then we are misrepresenting the holy God of all creation. I don't think any of us want to be guilty of misrepresenting the holy God of all creation. I don't think any of us want to be guilty of sharing and spreading falsehoods about God and falsehoods about his word because we know full well God will not take that lightly. These things ought to be considered. Um, in 1 Peter, 2 Peter, and then in Jude, uh, there's others. So just real quick, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says to desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow up and mature. It doesn't say to pursue all this other stuff. It says pursue the sincere milk of the word. In 2 Peter, verses, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 21, Peter actually gives testimony that even though he was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he believes, he teaches that scripture, what they have written, what they have um, there, what they have is a more sure prophecy, a more sure word of prophecy than even him being there on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. That's important. So Second Peter 1, verses 3 through 21. Um, and then the book of Jude, he talks about contending for the faith that was once delivered to all the saints. And then he says to build yourself up in the most holy faith. And we're going to come back to that in a later installment as well, because that was another thing that uh, the, the preacher that was preaching that sermon uh, he actually tried to use a verse in Jude to support um, like praying in tongues in a heavenly language or whatever. And that is absolutely not even, not even close because Jude says he's writing to contend for the faith. And then he says to build yourself up in the faith, which is obviously the teachings and the doctrines of faith. So we'll come back to that one. But to close this installment out and to kind of set the stage for the next one, this was called more of Christ. In almost every single New Testament book, Paul prays for it and he urges it. Know Christ. Uh, grow in your wisdom and your knowledge and, and your understanding. We know that we are supposed to have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. We, are to know, uh, we know that Jesus is the bread of life. All who go to him will never hunger. He is living water. All who, all who take that drink will never thirst again. So Jesus is full contentment. Jesus is the fullness. Jesus is all in all, right? We don't need anything more. So how do we know God at all? General revelation, creation, but that special revelation when he reveals his word to us, we come to know him through the spirit regenerating us and leading us into all truth. How do we know God? How do we know him intimately through his word? When we read of the love of God that sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins, when we are wretches, he is a holy God. We are sinful, we are wretches, we deserve his wrath, but he poured out that wrath upon God or upon Jesus Christ to redeem us and he claimed us as his own and he gives us life. That's the fullness of God's love right there. And not only that, Christ is now interceding on our behalf at the right hand of the Father and all things, God is working all things together for good for his people, for those that are called according to his purpose and that nothing can separate us from the love of God. That's as intimate as you could possibly be with what God has revealed about himself and, what, and how God has revealed himself to 
his people. It doesn't get any more intimate than that. So don't fall for the trap of more. The deception. Oh, you can know God more intimately. You can know. No, it's leading you away from Christ. It's leading you away from the word. Unless somebody says, hey, do you want to know a way to know God more intimately? Do you want to know a way to know the heart of God? Study your word. That person is leading you towards truth. And that person is telling you the truth by saying, hey, if you want to know God and know his heart and know God's love and know him intimately, go to the word. Just like we're instructed to do in the word. And then lastly, know this. And this is setting the stage for the next installment. Anybody who tells you anything, but especially somebody who says, hey, there's more that God has for you. There's more that God wants to reveal to you. If they are in support of other false doctrines, rest assured they're leading you away from Christ. And they're probably leading themselves away from Christ. Scripture says that false teachers are deceived and being deceived, or they are deceiving and being deceived. But if they affirm other things that are unbiblical, then we have no business following them if they tell us there's more that God has for us. So if they support things like female pastors, if they support things like decreeing and declaring and speaking things into existence um, and manifesting things, if they believe in things like, uh, and there's some, there's some really odd stuff out there. If they believe in things like grave soaking uh, or dead raising or anything like that, if they believe in modern day apostles and prophets, if they believe uh, in getting slain in the spirit, uh, and things of that nature, then you can rest assured they are leading you astray. And you say, oh, well, there it is. Caleb's the, there it is. Caleb's Baptist side just came out of him. He's just saying all that stuff because he's a Baptist. No, I'm saying all of that stuff because none of what was just mentioned is biblical. None of what was just mentioned is biblical. Now, is tongues biblical? Yes, and we will get to that in a later installment. But tongues, the way that people talk about it today, is that biblical? No, no. So if you've got somebody who's saying there's more that God has for you, whether that's being baptized in the spirit and speaking in tongues, or what, if they're trying to convince you that there's more that God has for you in that direction, but they support things like female pastors, decreeing and declaring, manifesting things that, um, uh, that, that God always heals, that God will never allow his people to be sick. And if they grave soak and, and just anything along those lines, you can rest assured you don't need to follow them. And they're leading you away from Christ. They're leading you away from Christ. Also setting the stage for the next few installments. Is there any place in scripture where God ever tells us that praying in tongues is a way to get to know him more intimately? Is there any biblical evidence of it? Is, is prayer even a mechanism to know God? Does God instruct us to use prayer to know him more? Or is prayer simply us giving our petitions and lifting up our petitions to him? Do Jesus or the apostles ever pray in tongues? Do we even need a heavenly language? All of the angels, all of the messages that God ever gave his people, he talked to them in the language that they spoke. Do we even need a heavenly language? Um, so just some questions that we'll dive into further on later installments, but uh, thank you so much for listening. Again, I would encourage you, please test everything that I say up against the scripture, but read the scriptures. Read those references that we mentioned today. There is a more that is good. There is a more that we should pursue, and that is more of Christ. 
more of the knowledge and wisdom and understanding of Christ, our Lord and Savior, more of the true understanding of the sound doctrines of the faith once delivered to all saints. If people are leading you to things that are more, that are outside the bounds of Scripture, that are away from Christ, you can rest assured they're leading you towards idolatry and they're leading you away from truth. Um, So thanks for listening. I pray that this has been an encouragement to you. At the very least, I pray it's been a challenge to you, uh, not in a let's fight kind of way, but a challenge to read the word more closely and to study these things out. And almost every New Testament book, we're told that we are, we are encouraged to grow in our knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. We're also told that the love that we are to have is connected to our knowledge. It's not connected to different experience. It's connected to knowledge and wisdom and faith. So, May God be glorified. My prayer is truly that this would edify the saints, that this would sanctify us, that this would bring us closer together as we discuss these things. If you have questions or comments or disagreements, again, reach out here on Facebook or you can text me or call me, 912-339-4211. That really is my phone number. I really will talk with you. Uh, I would love to get to know you uh, and and speak with you, pray with you, study with you. Um, So Christianity proper, proper doctrine, proper life. Thank you guys so much. May God be glorified and uh, pray for me as I continue to prepare these installments um, and pray for our areas that God would truly move in our areas, that God would grant a knowledge and understanding of Christ and who he is, that God would open up blinded eyes and raise the dead spiritually to new life in Christ Jesus, uh, that we would see a true and lasting revival, a true and lasting resurgence of the true gospel and sound doctrine in our areas. To God be the glory. Love you guys, and we'll catch you on the next installment of Christianity Proper.